what serves me right now and how can I do the very best with what I've got right now and then do the best for like to set myself up for success in the future. The internet can be a wonderful thing or it could be the most destructive thing. Some of that is just the nature of how it's built, but also like you have agency there. You have choices that you can make. Yeah, I am me where Ever I go, mm-hmm. what you get on social is what you're going to get on a podcast, is what you're going to get if we're sitting down at a coffee shop, yeah. is what you're going to get if we're at my home. We appraise the value in other people, other people's lives, other people's accomplishments, but very rarely do we stop and do that with ourselves. But that was what fitness was back then. It was go hard or go home. Mm-hmm. Like, how do no you? No days off. No days yeah. off. Now I'm like, no, please. Like, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> go hard? No, I'll take the go home yeah. option. The big silence. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Shout out to our friend James Nicholas Kinney. What's up, James? I met James like two and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. And he came over to the house and we just bonded and he just went in the studio and wrote the song and recorded it in a week. And that is your big silence theme song. That's right. Oh, James is awesome. I mean, he works in corporate and has this amazing job, travels around the world and then writes music. And I think it's all about including the arts. Right, Bobby? Okay. So today's podcast is our friend. Can I just hold you up for one second? I just want to give you a compliment. What? You look really cute. You like your whole thing. You're like kind of glowing and you got your little big silence swag on. You're like... Look so happy. Thank you. Yeah, you're so super cute. I love it when you compliment me. You said that to me yesterday morning, too. Well, you're a little cutie. Well, thank you. Um, you know I'm a big into skincare. I do know that. And you use all of my skincare as well, you little great shiny Kind of goes thing. with Bobby Baths and a little, you know, mask and <laughs> things like that. No, I have been using Clearstim, which, you know, mm-hmm. all of their um, products are smell good they feel good like feel my skin oh never mind you have plastic gloves on that's weird rubber gloves (laughs) but thank you I appreciate that I appreciate that compliment Um, and I actually am having I met the founders of Clearstem and they're going to be on the podcast they're coming here in person in Austin and um, they are now partners with the Big Silence Podcast. What? I know. So you'll be hearing more about ClearStim in the future. Um, I actually, a lot of my friends are like, oh my God, you're having the founders of ClearStim. I'm on, I'm a member, blah, blah, blah. So uh, more to come on that. Very nice. So back to today's podcast guest, mm. who was in the studio just yesterday, Katie Horwich. My first time. Uh, two time. First time, two time guest. Damn. Yeah. So in the show notes, we're going to link the first interview where we talk mostly about her book, Want Yourself, that just came out. It's how to shift your self-talk and unearth the strength in who you were all along. Yes. It just came out in October and That's she right. was in Austin on her book tour. Um, on the first podcast, we talk about the difference between self-love and self-like shifting negative self-talk growing up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I love, it was last week's podcast too. We're like just reminiscing on how different it was growing up then versus now. Talk about social media and comparison and the simple gratitude practice. But when she was in person, I love in person. 
Mm-hmm. I want to do just in person. I will drive to you in our mobile podcast studio and do an interview. Um, but we just sat here. We, but Katie and I are both introverts, and we talk about the negative self talk with introverts. We talked about dating apps. Holler. Or dating. I, so we both did the same dating app. She met her husband mm. through a dating app. Um, same one I did after I hadn't dated in six or seven years. Tinder. No. I'm kidding. <laughs> We've been together 11 years. I'm pretty sure I didn't do Tinder. <laughs> I'm kidding. eHarmony. I know. No, it was funny because, and it's all in the podcast, but eHarmony reached out to her because it, they got married and they've been together 11 years now. Oh. And I uh, wanted them to do a commercial. She's like, I pretty much talk about eHarmony all the time. eHarmony, I'm here for you. Remember when uh, we were dating and, and I was yes. like, I've never, never ever <laughs> done an online dating. And then so we made a profile for me on eHarmony. To see if we were matched. To see if we were matched. <laughs> we didn't get matched. We didn't get that far. But no, Katie wasn't matched with her husband either. There's like a button that we talk about where it's like, in case, I forget what it's called, but we talk about it in the podcast where you can say, just in case. So mm. her husband was a just in case. So maybe wow. you were a just in case. Wow. Wow. Okay, anyways. <laughs> All right. So we also talk about, in her book, I'm still going through and I'm towards the end of it, but a chapter about triggered suspicious versus intuition kicks. And we talk about want. She has her company, Women Against Negative Talk. We also talk about the transition in careers because she was in the fitness industry Mm. and now is in self-development. And she kind of did it simultaneously. And you can still catch her at Equinox teaching spin class once a week. Really? Yeah. Nice. In New York. York. In New York. Well, you should go to New York. I know you're always talking about your New York trip. I know. We talk about it in the podcast of, I always go to New York for work, but... I need to go there just to have fun. I'm going to give you the real tour. We're going to take a trip out to Fire Island. Maybe off-season in Montauk. Montauk's a little busy now. But... I do... Oh, yeah. We, I've gone to Montauk. I love Montauk. Yeah. It can be like... You uh, should go on that bike ride. But we're going to do like an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind train ride out to Montauk. And you can be my Clementine. I think your dad is hammering something downstairs. I don't think he got... The memo when we said no noise. All right. Well, anyways, enjoy this podcast conversation with Katie Horwich. And we will see you on the other side. In Montauk. Welcome back to the podcast, Katie Horwich. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be in person with you. I know. Okay. So we did the podcast that came out in October when Mm -hmm. your book came out, Mm -hmm. Want Yourself, which Mm -hmm. I'm still reading through and you see my latest chapters. I'm up to chapter like 14. Oh, that's a good one. You're yeah. in a good place. Yeah. I'm so excited. You're now on your book tour mm-hmm. here in Texas. Mm-hmm. And you're here and you just met Tiki. I met all of your dogs. Yes, you did. We all. had a makeout session, but... Yeah. You were on here before mm-hmm. and we talked about your book. We talked about the differences between self-love and self-like, um, shifting negative self-talk and growing up in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. So we'll link to that podcast in the show notes as well. We talked about a whole bunch of other things too. And today we're going to talk, as it's the new year, we're going to get to goal setting and the concept of falling off the wagon as we're in the beginning of 2024. Yes, I have a lot to say about that. We'll but get there. I was reflecting on our last conversation 
And I was thinking, you know, you were in the fitness industry mm-hmm. back when we founded Tone It Up. Yeah. And I want to talk about that shift you made because now you've been in, I would say, self-development for a decade. Yeah. Can we talk more about that? I would love to. And I love to talk to people like you who started in the fitness industry around the same time that I did because I don't think that people quite understand right now who maybe weren't in that era Mm -hmm. how different the fitness industry was and how like it wasn't a cool thing to be a group fitness instructor. (laughs) Like it wasn't what it is right now. Yeah. And for me, I got into fitness because I was I was in musical theater mm-hmm. and I was in college and I had been struggling with, like we talked about before, eating disorders, body-related disorders, and a relationship with exercise where I felt like, okay, I feel like me, but everything that I'm hearing in this, gosh, it was like 2006, 2007 era about fitness, it's really, really focused on like sort of the go hard, go home culture, Mm -hmm. um, very numbers focused, very calorie focused. And I was like, this is not a good thing for this brain and this body to be ingesting. Yeah. And let's, I mean, if we're going to go back in the history of our decades in fitness and wellness, if that Mm -hmm. was what it was, and that was with Tone It Up, one of our goals was let's not count the calories. Let's not be harsh. You were some of the first people, like one of the first brands to really do that. Yeah. And it was just really important to make fitness fun again because it was in the days of The Biggest Loser and love Jillian. She's Mm -hmm. a friend. She's great. But that was what fitness was back then. It was go hard or go home. Mm -hmm. Like how do you... No days off. No days off. No, I'm like... No, please. Like I want to go home. (laughs) Go hard? No, I'll take the go home option. So... You were in group fitness. Mm-hmm. And where did you teach? Oh my gosh, everywhere. Oh, yeah. I started at the uh, Swim and Tennis Center in my neighborhood because mm. there was a storm and a tree blocked the instructor's garage and the instructor couldn't get out of their house. So they were like, well, Katie is getting certified to teach intercycling, to teach mm-hmm. spin. And at the time, I was making a lot of the CDs because they were CDs at the time. Like, wait, like, like for mix music. CDs okay. for like, for the instructors. Yes. And they were like, well, we, we want to take this class. Katie, you're here. Would you be comfortable teaching it? And I was like, yeah. And that was my first class, just sort of thrown in saying yes. It was a very comfortable environment. It was a yeah. community center. Yeah. Um, but after that, I taught for multiple places big gyms, small boutiques. And then I actually still teach for Equinox. Yes. And I've been with them for the last, I believe it's 12, it might be 13 years okay. this year. And I teach one class. I teach it downtown. Mm-hmm. And it's people who have been riding with me since I since I moved to New York City. And the way that my fitness slant, I guess, has mm-hmm shifted or I guess expanded into, because it's always been this over Mm -hmm. the years, is my classes really focus on the mindset portion of things and Mm -hmm. focus on that what we do in this room is just practice for what what we're doing out there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that's important too. And I've talked about that a lot. Like, why are you actually at the gym? It shifted from that go hard, go home to, okay, I'm training my mind. Mm -hmm. 
and my body to be able to do everything I need for the rest of the, my day. Yeah. Or, and or the rest of my days, uh, like days, uh, my life. Yeah, yeah your yeah. life. Absolutely. Um, the mental and the physical, I think it's so important to touch on that. And so you're a trainer. Mm-hmm. And then how, because it's, it's so interesting, the shift. And I would say I'm asking this question too, because even for myself, mm-hmm. as fitness is what healed me from, you know, my my story of growing up and what made me really happy and what brought me joy and moving my body because of the mm-hmm. endorphins. And, and then now, you know, after 15 years, still in the fitness industry, still yeah. tone it up, but a little bit of a shift. We're wanting to have a podcast, have deeper conversations, to write other books and to kind of develop um, and listen to yourself as what your next journey is in life. Like, how did you mm-hmm. get to writing this beautiful book and everything you've been doing now for a decade? Yeah. I mean, it actually started at pretty much the exact same time. So mm. I got certified to teach in, I believe it was. December 2007 or January 2008. I thought of the idea for WANT for my platform, Mm -hmm. which stands for Women Against Negative Talk, November 2007. Mm -hmm. So it all sort of happened at the same time. And I I don't think that that was coincidental. Mm -hmm. I think that my brain was always in the place that maybe feels more obvious for like the work that I'm really doing now and this book, really shifting your self-talk, doing it in a real lasting way, more of the mindset and mental health work that I do because that's what fitness was for me. I mm-hmm. was never an athlete. The only thing that I really did like well, if you were to, if we were to, <laughs> to, to qualify it, was I was, a, I was a runner, but I was not a competitive runner. I yeah. just... Loved it because I loved moving my body. And then as a musical theater major, mm-hmm. I was a very much a double threat. <clears throat> not not triple. The, the dancing, <laughs> nowhere to be seen. And for me, when I found fitness, and I found it in during a time in my life where I felt like I was so lonely, I knew who I I wanted to be and who I was meant to be, but I felt like I, I don't quite know how to get there. So let's let's see. Let's mm-hmm. just see where I feel the most myself. Mm-hmm. I felt that when I got onto an indoor cycling bike. And part of that is because you're moving to the music. Mm-hmm. For the classes that I would take, you move to the yeah. music, but your feet are strapped in and you're moving there. It's it's like dancing with yeah. a with a little bit of a helper involved. I want to go yeah. back to you and being in musical theater. Yes. Which then I bet you can take that into your instruction of being a cycle instructor. Too. Oh, I can take it into anything. Anything. Yeah. 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 So how did you get into that? Musical theater. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, we're really going to go there now, right? You're going <laughs> to learn all of my deep, dark theater nerdy secrets. Yes. So I grew up basically in the car seat to three different cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. I grew up to Madonna. Oh, me too. I grew up to uh, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. I think it was like a concert for some anniversary of okay. something of all of his shows, and then the uh, Les Mis, Les okay. Rob uh, cassette tape. That's that's quite a trilogy. There. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Madonna fits in perfectly. Yes. there, right? Yeah. So when I was, 
oh gosh, probably in fifth grade, that's when I started to really allow myself to express to my parents at the Mm -hmm. time that I wanted to be on stage because growing up, like we've talked about in the Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s, I had internalized this idea that being confident and wanting to be on, on a literal stage in the literal spotlight, that was that was just too much. It yep. was me being conceited, full of myself, right. vain, like how dare you want that? Especially when I was someone who had other 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 talents that I leaned into that people praised me for. I was a mm-hmm. like a visual artist. I would draw. Um I was a really good student, like did all those things. So I felt like, well, I can't be all of the things. And I remember seeing one of my cousins who was in a community theater, children's theater group. And I told my parents, I want to do that. So I started to do theater in the community. And then this is where like the real nerd Katie comes out. (laughs) I was 13 years old and I saw the touring company of Les Mis Mm -hmm. when it came to Los Angeles. And it changed my life. The overture started, something happened in my body. I was just, I was so transfixed by the music, the storytelling, and the the company, the actors, which of course, then as a 13-year-old, they became like my boy band that I was just Mm -hmm. obsessed with. They, They felt... Like they were so themselves mm-hmm. on stage. And I was able to see myself in that. And so that really started me down this path of wanting to perform. Now I know in, in some capacity, mm-hmm. being able to see people on stage, not just, you know, receiving applause or singing pretty songs, but I got the sense that they were so embodied and so Mm -hmm. fully themselves. And I was like, that, that is what I want. So that's the early, early, early days. Well, and that's important that you mentioned like what you see on the stage. It's not uh, being conceited or wanting to be the star of the show, but you like it's in that full embodiment. And it's also not only on stage or on a bike or as a fitness instructor or Mm -hmm. on doing, you're also giving back. Because your audience, you're making them smile. You're making them feel good. And no matter, you know, whether it's acting or, you know, anything on, you know, social media or just, yeah. So I think it's really important. What would that message be to kids, teenagers who want to be in the arts, but are possibly struggling with what you were feeling? Like, who am I? Yeah. I think that for me, what was so wonderful about theater, especially when I was younger, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, in my preteens, teens, high school, is that first of all, I was able to find a like-minded, supportive community mm-hmm. during a period of time in people's lives that is kind of notorious for people being catty to mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. and feeling like you're so alone. I felt like, oh my gosh, these are my people because mm-hmm. there's something about people who are in the arts mm-hmm. that brings out the most you of you and the most you of the people or them of the people who are around you. You know, like everybody sort of brings their 
full self to the table. And for people who are maybe younger and struggling, who who want to be in the arts, but feel like, I don't know, like being on a stage, like is that I'm too full of myself or even feelings of like, well, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not as good as this person. Because mm-hmm. now you see people on, on TikTok and mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how I would have been if yeah. as a 13, 14 year old, if I had had TikTok and seeing the way that these kids perform now. But I think that I would tell people to go into it, knowing that you are going into it to find out more about yourself and also be a part of a community. And I think that that's something that as adults, a huge question is like, how do you make friends as an adult? Mm-hmm. And you know, that's like a whole other conversation, but I think to boil it down to really, 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 really bare bones, you know this because you've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many friendships made in group fitness classes. Mm-hmm. You've seen so many made in the Tone It Up community. Mm-hmm. These are people who just like I was going into theater as a young kid and finding my community there. These are people who are going into this world that they're really, really interested in mm-hmm. and finding community there. And so, you know, that is a skill that is going to serve young people for their entire lives when they know, oh yeah, if I want to find friends. Do I, something that you're I do something that interested I'm, I'm interested in. And, yeah. I don't just like look for people to fill to fill a void. Yeah. I let's talk about the gym and friendship. Yeah. I mean, most of a lot of my friends I've met in the gym. Um, yeah. And even um, I do, I know there's controversy over trainers having trainers, but I have a trainer who motivates me. I think trainers should absolutely have trainers. I think yeah. trainers should have trainers. Coaches should have coaches. Yeah. Consultants could have consultants. Have therapists. Therap- exactly. But exactly. My, my trainer, it's like, it becomes this social thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to the gym. Because yeah, I can use the Tone It Up app. I can work out at home. But sometimes it's nice to get out there whether you do a meetup and or a, like a jogging group or run group. But I've become really good friends with my trainer now. We just work out together and then meet other people at the gym. And that's where you meet that group of people that are like-minded, which I think is so important. And mm-hmm. I also will contribute social media to if you use it the right way to be able to make yes. friends. I Love that you're saying this right now because mm-hmm. I think that it's really easy to just like bash social media. Mm-hmm. But there are actual studies that show if you're leaning into the social part of social media, then it can be beneficial for your mental health. So mm-hmm. that means like commenting, interacting, sending people messages. But so many of us, and like myself included, I'm I'm not immune to this. We can yeah. go to social media and just be scrolling and sort of be like these voyeurs and mm-hmm using social media more like media, more like entertainment mm-hmm. than the social aspect. And that's where things start to go downhill because all you're doing is watching and you're not making a connection. Yeah, I would say one of the coolest things about moving to Austin, we moved in 2019 mm-hmm. and didn't know anyone here. But as I saw people moving to Austin, it was so easy through social media because like-minded people that I follow on social media who are in wellness or you know fitness... And I'm like, oh my gosh, welcome to Austin. Yeah. They're like, oh, let's get coffee. Let's get together. And now there's just like this huge community of people just you meet through social media. If you use social media for the right thing and like you said, not the comparison, which right. we talked about before, um, it really can be used to, you know, 
kind of like, I don't want to say a dating app, but it is like... <laughs> no, but like Bumble BFF is yeah. a thing now. Yeah. I think social media, you're right. So many of my friends I've met through fitness and I've I've met through social media. And when I moved to New York, that was back, that was a while ago now, that was 2016. I had people who were in my like social media community mm-hmm. who I'd never met in person, but we had been in contact over social media and we met up and like now some of them are my closest friends. And I, but I was also a part of the like very, very early blogging community mm-hmm. in like yeah. 2009. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I mean, some of those people are still some of my dearest, dearest friends. The internet can be a wonderful thing mm-hmm. or it could be the most destructive thing. And some of that is just the nature of how it's built, but yeah. also like you have agency there. You have choices yeah. that you can make. Yeah. Not every choice, but you can I make know. some. I'm like the creep that I get to know someone before. I'm like, oh, she works out. She's in, has a nutrition company and she likes to travel in vans. Hey, yeah. <laughs> moving to Austin. Want to be friends? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I just say uh, you just can get to know people. Um, hopefully, you know, as long as they're very honest on social. That's the thing, because yeah. then sometimes you run into the conundrum of meeting people in person and you think, wow, that's not the person that I that yeah. I, I already know. And I so know. there's like the cognitive dissonance that happens. And I think it's really important to recognize that when we are posting and we are sharing mm-hmm. so that we don't unintentionally become those people. Yeah. Like, I am me wherever. Ever I go, mm-hmm. what you get on social is what you're going to get on a podcast, is what you're going to get if we're sitting down at a coffee shop, yeah. is what you're going to get if we're at my home, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that consistency of personhood and character and just who you are, it's not just for other people. That That is, that is a way to let yourself know that you are on your own side consistently, like you are worth, and we talked about this before when it comes to confidence. Confidence is just trust. How do you build trust with someone? You realize that they're good for their word. And if you keep Mm -hmm. sort of being a chameleon in every single situation you're in, how are you proving to yourself that Mm -hmm. you can trust who you are, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. I want to dive into the book. Well, we're going to get to the whole goal setting Mm -hmm. concept of falling off the wagon thing. I told Bobby that we were going to talk about that today. He's like, I need to hear this. Because it's, (laughs) I'm like, Bobby, you're fine. But it is actually, let's just go into that now. Great. For Bobby. For Bobby. Bobby, this is for you. So we are in, is it end of January? January 22nd, we are filming this. So we've got our 2024 goals and resolutions and such. So what are tips for anyone? Because I, there's a chapter, chapter 11 in your book about overwhelm too. And I Mm -hmm. think that that can kind of go together of falling off the wagon and almost this overwhelm of this perfectionism going into a new year. Yeah. So because you mentioned it, which is a great link, by the way, this is why you're so good at what you do. Um, Because you mentioned it, I want to bring up that first and then we'll Mm -hmm. get into the the wagon of it all. So overwhelm, I'm a words person, mm-hmm. obviously. I looked up the the origin of the word uh, overwhelm. Yeah, and it actually, it. it's fascinating. It comes from a term that was actually 
used to describe ships to begin with, like okay. when it first came up. Oh, you have it open I, right now. Look, it's okay. I'll let yeah. you do I don't need to read it. Yeah, from the mid-14th century, early 15th century. Yes. Yes, mid-14th century, early 15th century. of to turn upside down, to overthrow, to knock over, are thought to possibly allude to a ship, which feels right because, duh, tidal waves. Yeah. So I that, that chapter begins with me describing this... This recurring dream that I had for like the majority of my life. I haven't had one in a while, but it was this recurring dream about a tidal wave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people dream of, of falling or their teeth falling out. Mm-hmm. Mine was a tidal wave where you would see the wave like come up and up and up and up and up, and then it would just crash and fall down. Then I would wake up, of course. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what overwhelm feels like. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked it up, and I saw that it is to overtake in power, to like to uh, topple over, and it was referred to as ships. That's a really interesting visual for me as as a writer and someone mm-hmm. who loves metaphors, because that's what overwhelm feels like, right? It feels like you are swept up in this storm, and trying to just like steer against and steer against mm-hmm. whatever's happening. That actually a lot of times makes it worse, makes the overwhelm worse. So what do you do? You need to ride the waves. You need to Mm -hmm. learn how to find the current and you move slowly toward that calmer water and that safer ground. So when it comes to overwhelm in the new year, part of the reason I was so excited to talk about this subject Mm -hmm. with you and just why I'm excited in general is that this time of year, the waves are crashing, right? We've Mm -hmm. got all of this noise about, you know, it's a little different in 2024, but it still exists. The new year, new you mindset, or, um, you know, what are your goals? How are you Mm going to track your habits? How are you going to do all of this stuff? Do, 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 do. And then you feel like, well, does that mean I'm not doing enough? Or are my goals the right goals? You know, it feels overwhelming when it should be like a motivating thing, but well, yeah, Not- and then you're like, oh, well, I mean, here I was complaining today. I'm like, it's so cold and rainy. I don't want to do anything. But then I'm yeah. like, then you beat yourself up. You're like, no, you got to do this. And yes. this. That's like the simple, just like basic, I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. today type of thing. Like, I didn't work out today. Right. But still, I'm, I still can. I still can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the overwhelm of just like, it's the all or nothing mentality. Yeah. And we live in a world that gets us into the habit of looking for that, right? Like Mm -hmm. we live in a very binary focused world where it's either this or that. Again, Mm -hmm. not to bring everything back to our childhood, but when we were growing up, like the, remember like the magazine spreads of like eating this, not mm -hmm. that, or like who (gasps) wore it better. You know, there was always a a win and a loss. And even in my work with self-talk, a big aha for people is like one of the most basic, basic, basic things that I've found in my work is that self-talk isn't inherently good or bad. It's information. Mm -hmm. And it's what we do with that information that informs what's next and next and next and next. But we have this idea of if it's not this thing, then it's not good enough. Or if it's bad, then it can't have good sparkles in it. So when it comes to the new year Mm -hmm. and when it comes to the wagons, I like to get rid of the wagon altogether. Yeah. So I like to think of things as 
your life is the wagon. Your life Mm -hmm. is the journey. And that's really freeing because it takes out the stop and start Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. and allows yourself grace and space to move through your life. Like you just used working out as an example. And I think that that's a very common one for people in the new year. A lot of people say, oh, I, I really want to get back to my body looking like this, or I want to get back to running this fast or lifting this heavy, but it's all back, 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 back. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. life looks different now. Mm-hmm. So what's cool about this work, like with with the book and with Overwhelm, is that you get to meet yourself where you're at and ask, okay, well, what serves me right now? And how can I do the very best with what I've got right now and then do the best for like to set myself up for success in the future and giving yourself that flexibility Mm -hmm. to be like, "Mm, today's cold. And I don't know, at whatever time we finish, let's, let's just say we finish at 2 PM or whatever Mm -hmm. saying, you know, I just want to be cozy today. Like I've had a really long few weeks and I just need a moment for Mm -hmm. myself that's the priority in the moment. And you could say like, okay, well, I I was planning on, I don't know. Some people, I I think of runners, for example, Mm -hmm. who maybe have a more uh, strict regimen of like, I have to get this long run in for Right, if you're training my for training. a race or I was yeah. a triathlete back in the day and I was so like, you know. I got to run, I got to do this, I got to yeah. swim this. Like if I'm doing a race, I got to do it. Yeah. But that was good mental training for me to be like, you can do this, you can do this. But then I think, not to interrupt what, where you were going yeah. with that, but then as you transition through life and what you're doing, that maybe there's that same pressure now. Yeah. Well, that, we, we kind of have that training mentality yeah. every single day. And that's, yeah. that's not necessarily the best thing, but you can sort of flip it on its head if that's something that you've become accustomed to where, mm-hmm. okay, I need to, like I ran I ran my first marathon in, in 2022 mm-hmm. and I actually loved the training process for that. I was yeah. doing it at the same time I was, I was writing the manuscript. That probably was really good for you to go from like, running. Yes. Can think, clear your mind, get the energy, the endorphins, and then go into writing. Exactly. And when you're running, especially, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're training, couldn't just like stop and go to the side of the road and like sit and and Mm -hmm. write for 15 (laughs) minutes and then go, you know, like I don't have all of the time in the day to run. I have this amount of time. So it's great to have that separation. But I like for, for people who are in the habit of like training mode, Mm-hmm. And that's something coming from a performance background mm-hmm. that it's the same with rehearsals yeah. and mm-hmm. working towards a thing. It's something that I have been very familiar with my entire life. I like to think of it as how do I want to train for the hard moments in life? Mm-hmm. How do I want to train for the times when I, I can't just fit a workout in yeah. or train for the times when I, you know, on more of a mindset set bent, uh, the times where I need to really put myself out there and it's really, really uncomfortable to do that. Mm-hmm. Then it allows you, or, you know, if a parent is listening or someone who wants to be a parent and maybe they're, you know, just speaking for myself, how, how I used to be with food, training themselves to say, okay, well, 
I want to be able to have cake at my future kid's birthday party mm-hmm. and not be completely ruminating over mm-hmm. it the entire time. So what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel mm-hmm. after this moment is gone is a way that you can take those natural tendencies that you already have and have them actually help you in the long run instead of set you up in these, like we talked about, very, very, very narrow parameters of this is the thing or there's none of it. It's all or nothing. It's good or bad. Yeah, that all or nothing. Bobby, I hope that was helpful. Bobby, that was all for you. Where do you run your marathon? New York City. I figured so, yeah. Yeah. She's wearing a New York City sweatshirt representing. I am a proud, well... I've moved, I moved there in 2016. So I'll be there, I think almost eight years now. So I don't know if I can call myself a New Yorker. People would debate that, but. Yeah. I mean, I lived in LA for 20 years. Yeah. I feel like you are. I was. You're in LA. I was. But now I've been here and this summer will be five years. That is, I mean, half a decade is a (sighs) bitch. (laughs) That's basically you being born to you going to kindergarten. You know, like it's a good chunk of time. I think when you find a place that really resonates with who you are. Yeah. um, And that can happen for like moving for work or moving for a partner's work. But when you find a place that really resonates with who you are, it's like, oh yeah, I I fit into this ecosystem, whether I've been here for a year or three decades. Yeah. Is, How'd you end New up York. in New York? It's actually my husband Jeremy's work. So okay. with musical theater, that it was always the plan yeah. to move to New York, be in theater. Um, I had a very laughably specific plan for myself, as many of us do. Yep, when yep. I was, uh, I think it was like my junior year of college where I was like, cool, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to live six months in L.A., I don't know why six. It sounded good. And then I'm going to move to New York. What ended up happening is I ended up getting work in LA. I did some theater, but mostly it was um, TV, commercials, film. And I worked with some of the larger theater companies there. And there just wasn't a reason for me to move to New York. And I'm just not the personality type Mm -hmm. who will say, I want to live in this place and so I'm going to do that. That's just not in my nature. I've I've wished my whole life that I could be that person, but it's just not me. And so my husband, he worked for a brand strategy firm mm-hmm. and they were like, how would you feel about opening up a New York office? And I had just left my full-time job at the time to go full force with want. Yeah. And I also was teaching fitness for Equinox. There's a ton of those in New mm-hmm. York City. So I felt like I can do the work that I'm doing anywhere, but this specific work, like I can do it very comfortably in New York as far as like a community uh, experience goes. Because I knew a lot of people and I knew that I would be able to at least teach. I would at least have that and I could meet people through that. Um, And so I was like, yeah, I am... I am all in. And he's from San Diego. So we're two Southern California kids living in our little Little. slice of the Big Apple. What part of New York? (laughs) Upper West Side. Okay. Yeah. And so you're an introvert. We talked about that before. Yes. So how do you do that in New York? I think, and I've spoken to other people before, and I've got confirmation (laughs) that this is not just something in my brain, (laughs) that New York is an excellent city for introverts. Really? I actually find that it is 
probably my ideal introvert city because it requires you to be able to be okay with being like alone Mm -hmm. while amongst many people Yeah, all of the time. You have to be okay with being the boss of your own life because you walk out the door and you're surrounded by the city. You're surrounded by people and you are usually like getting on the subway or getting on the bus, taking some sort of public transportation. And so you're around more people, but you're not interacting with them. Yeah. So for someone who one of her favorite pastimes is people watching, oh my gosh, it's like... Wait, yours? Yeah. I love people watching. New York is like our Disneyland. Yeah. It's the best. For me, I mean, there are areas like Times Square, I go if I'm seeing a Broadway show, but I don't like... Yeah, go and hang out there. And for me, the neighborhoods in New York, it is, I have such an internal experience just while walking around and going about my day. Sometimes I will be walking around New York and realize that I haven't actually talked to another person Mm -hmm. during the day. So I can recharge my batteries. I can see that. But also get that um, very natural, very human pull to be a part of a community and be a part of, especially in the area that I live, everybody is like, claims the title of being the Upper West Side's biggest fan. Like they love the neighborhood so much that it feels like going back to fitness classes or the theater. Mm -hmm. It feels like being in an environment where people just care so much. So I, it's actually surprising to people who, who've who never lived there. It was a little bit surprising to me that it is introvert's paradise. I can, I understand what you're saying and I can see that for sure. Because whenever I go to New York though, it's for work. Totally. It's doing press. Yeah. It's doing events where it's just like, go, go, go. But I can see myself just like even putting on some headphones and walking around the city and watching people and not talking to anyone. And then that being like your refuel. That's, I, and especially when I was writing the book, that was most of my days because yeah. I was, my writing process is very much in my head mm-hmm. for a really long time and then on the page. So yeah. once I gave myself permission and realized like, oh, this is the game that I, I'm playing right now and how this is going to work. It was just like days of... Not full silence, but like predominantly yeah. silence for, you know, me talking out loud, just surrounded by the energy mm-hmm. of the city. It was so nourishing. It was so wonderful. Yeah. I, I feel like you would love it. It's different when you visit. Yeah. Maybe I need to go there for vacation. We'll have to talk after yes. you go to New York just to like hang out yeah. and see what it's like yeah. um, to just be I think you'd really love it. Okay. I want to go back. You talked about writing your book and the book process because I get this question a lot too. Like yes. how, number one, how do you do this? Number two, going back to, I want to, I'm using the word worthiness. Like mm-hmm. why am I one who should be writing a book? Yeah. And so that confidence that goes in to be like, I'm putting this out here. Yeah. Well, and I want to hear about like, if your experience was similar. Yeah. For me, so I've, similar to you, I've been doing this work for for so long. Mm-hmm. And when I started to first pitch the books, you have to write the proposal first and then you're pitching to agents, um, or at least that's how my yeah. journey was. That process 
took a really long time. So I first thought of the the concept of the book mm-hmm. back in 2017. Wow. It's my first. Mm-hmm. It's 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 my first log yep. of it that I I've seen in like a, a notebook of mine. And then I didn't find my agent until 2021. Yeah. So that's okay, a long wow. yeah. time of pitching, getting no's, getting silence, mm-hmm. getting people who were interested and then like not hearing from them again. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to keep coming back in those very early stages to, I just touched on it really quickly, but what is the game that I want to play here, that I'm willing to play here? Because mm-hmm. I totally could have self-published the book. Mm-hmm. For me... I and I know people who have self-published, and mm-hmm. that's that's like a whole other beast. Mm-hmm. And I I really resent the the sort of like competition, like West Side Story comp- style competition yeah. online, mostly yeah. between traditional publishing and self-publishing. I've done both, and we'll go into that. Yeah, yeah. they're they're totally different, yeah. and and there are also some commonalities. So I decided that while I was in New York, at least, so this was pre-pandemic. I just wanted to see what the publishing industry was like. I was like, I might hate it. Mm-hmm. I might never want to do traditional publishing again and just self-publish in the future. But while I'm in New York, which is such a hub for publishing, mm-hmm. I just want to see. Because if I don't, I will regret it for the rest of my life. Not to be dramatic, yeah. but I yeah. will. And so I kept going and I knew that I was so crystal clear on the material. I knew it was good because I I pretty much wrote the entire manuscript before I was even pitching. Right. Because that's just, oh, that's, just me. <laughs> that's just me. That's just me. Like, if you're, I'm here and no, I'll just keep doing it, keep moving forward. You're going to yeah. have to write it anyways. So, And then yeah. to your point about like worthiness, yep. I think that was something, the conversation around self-worth really has to do with valuing yourself which has to do with value, which is comparative. Mm-hmm. So in order to know how valuable something is, you have to be able to compare it to something. So like I just made the analogy the other day of if you have like a piece of artwork and you're appraising a piece of art, there's all these different things that you check. Mm-hmm. You check who's the artist, when was it painted, um, you know, all of I'm mm-hmm. not an art curator, so I'm not going to go on with that metaphor. But no, you I, no, I I get where because we you've been in my. house. I was going to say you have beautiful art, so you yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, we're very yeah. We are informed on that appraising. Yeah, yeah. So you you need to know like oh well this is this is way too expensive for what they should be charging for this <laughs> or wow this is a steal for this because this is so valuable because you know these things. So often we look outside of ourselves and back to the social media conversation, Mm -hmm. we appraise the value in other people, other people's lives, other people's accomplishments, but very rarely do we stop and do that with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we get into a situation where we feel a lack of self-worth because we haven't even identified what about us is valuable to ourselves Mm -hmm. in the first place, which Mm -hmm. is like, way more pragmatic than this, like, you should value yourself, which is kind of obtuse and floofy. And you're like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. And so for me, writing this book and working through this material, 
I got crystal clear on like, what is, what is it that I value about the way that I do my work? What are my non-negotiables within myself? Mm-hmm. What do I appreciate about my lens? I got clear on that stuff apart from anybody else's opinion because I'm human. So of course that and recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to care about that down the line. Of course I am. But I need to know what I actually value about myself mm-hmm. so that when I'm looking at something else, someone else, their goal, their accomplishment, I can come back to myself and say, oh, well, that person has this, 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 and this, and this is amazing, but I have this, 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 and this. I I read a great quote by, it was in James Clear's newsletter. Do you know James Clear, like Atomic Habits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, Yeah. so he has uh, an amazing newsletter that's, I believe, it's on Substack. Don't quote me on that. But he gives three quotes from himself, two quotes from other people, and then a question at the end. And one of his newsletters in the last few weeks had a quote from someone that I'm forgetting who it is now, but they were basically saying that if you are going to be comparing yourself to someone else, you have to compare yourself to the entire person mm-hmm. and their entire life. Mm-hmm. So it's like someone might have this huge success, mm-hmm. but do you want, like you have to be that person to right. have there's, those things work just, out. Everybody's life is so dynamic. And, totally. Uh, yeah. And, and there's so much that we'll never know yeah. about each. Like you could tell me every single thing about yourself right now mm-hmm. and just cram it all in. There would still be things that I don't know about you because I'm of course. not you. And I've even written a memoir, but there's still right. more to say. Exactly. Yeah. Put it like no one will never ever know. Um, I want to go back to so who's your publisher with this? Sounds true. Okay, yeah, yeah. So with the two back to that writing process mm-hmm. for the two tone it up books. Yes, all fitness nutrition. You know, part of that, and that was with publishers. And then for my memoir, I self published. Mm-hmm. Number one because every publisher knows me as Karina of Tone, tone it, it Up. up yeah. Can you put some more fitness and wellness in here? I'm like, it's a messy memoir yeah. of yeah. <laughs> like growing up with a mentally ill mother and yeah. going through my own stuff and then overcoming and becoming someone that I'm proud of today. Uh, there's I'm, no squats in there. There's no, <laughs> sorry. It's not like, no, get down and let's do 10 squats and yeah. some push ups. No, you know. It has a, a happy-ish ending. But the other thing is when you, you know, do a memoir, like publishers usually own all of the rights. Mm-hmm. And when it's like, for me, my own story, as I, I self-publish, yeah. which is a totally different yeah. thing. Yeah. And like you make those choices. Yeah. And then the why of why I would want to like put all that out there and say mm-hmm. all these things and then, you know... It's just because it was a therapy thing for me. And yeah. I like in your book too, because it's a lot of storytelling mm-hmm. and then, you know, tips and like, you know, kind of breaking everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, I think writing is just so therapeutic. It is. Are you more of like an internal write in your head type person and then write it out? Or you do you map things out? What's your process like? More internal. And then I map, you know, outlines and mm-hmm. mapping. But you know, it was for me... Totally different book, but I have all of my journals from a kid. Yeah. So I can go back in my memories. Is that you too? I have mine too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
somehow, because I lived in LA for 20 years and every six months as from 18 to however old, mm-hmm. I was moving, moving, moving in boxes and somehow. That's amazing. That's so great. Notebooks. It's so helpful. Yeah. Like yeah. even to just for like your own personal perspective of, yeah. oh yeah, this is who I was back then. These are the things, even if it was, you know, I have journal entries from when I was maybe in middle school or high school mm. and there's it was like my venting place yeah and part of me is like oh like i hope that if you know one day when i'm long gone someone Somebody finds, finds these <laughs> and then i hope they're not like wow she was just a really like yes. sad angry like didn't like everything but yeah. that was my place to to let it out and yes. process so that I, like i've always been the person that i am right now but yeah. i it's funny i was just thinking about this on the way yeah. over to your house. Yeah. I think for me, and I'd be curious to hear for you, I have always been the same person on the inside. Mm-hmm. Who that person is on the outside mm-hmm. is the thing that I feel has been the most in flux in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's being in my 30s, being in New York City, being me, and this is just my journey or whatever, but I do feel like this decade has really been the first the first time in my life that I am consistently me everywhere and who I am on the inside and who I am on the outside is less of that Venn diagram mm-hmm. and is really like a true circle, which is what I read about in the book. Yeah, I'm feeling that same way too. And I think as you get older, you're more of just be who you authentically are. Let's go back to who you've always been on the inside. And I'm thinking of, I picture like a little girl mm-hmm. who's always like sweet and shy and innocent. But mm-hmm. then you have to, this little girl has to grow up and have a bigger voice and do more and be more responsible. But still you're that same, like that inner child that's in you. Um, does that make sense? I don't, um, yeah. It just, there's still that that softness, that kindness in you. Yeah. Um, when people talk about inner child, I think that a lot of times people can sort of overamp on the on the child's mm-hmm. part. And what I find, I think, comforting and empowering, and this sort of gets into just more of my, I'm not religious at all, but this is just more mm-hmm. of my like, I guess, spirituality practice, mm-hmm. if you will. I feel like the me that I've always known I'm meant to be mm-hmm. is the me that's been in there all along mm-hmm. that has no age attached to that person. Like mm-hmm. I say at the beginning of the book, like people talk about getting back to who you were when you mm-hmm. were a kid and wild and free and unencumbered by the world. I was I, never was that never. person. <laughs> no, like that's amazing for I for the people who were that person. It was not me. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was very much this person without, you know, the life experience, without the yeah. um, the the like lexicon of words and vocabulary that I have now. I was always this person on the inside. And life has really been about figuring out like who that is and how does that person live out loud mm-hmm. um, yeah. in concert with all of the expectations and the pressures that the world and life will just will will put on you because it will. And yeah. to think that we can be completely free of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you could say, okay, I'm I'm gonna go to a 
desert island somewhere where there's no one and just be me. But then I bet there would be thoughts there that come in of like, oh, I'm on an island. I should be enjoying this. I should be happy all the time. I should be doing this or you know? this or yeah. this or I'm still having anxiety. What if? Right, right. Like islands don't sort of, take away yeah. your anxiety. It's like when you go on vacation, you're like free. But then, I, I mean, for me personally, yeah. still, it's still there. Like the to-dos, the this, this. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. actually had some of my biggest meltdowns when I've been on vacation because I think I've felt so able to fully exhale mm-hmm. that that's when everything, if I've, if I've been pushing things down, mm-hmm. it's when it comes to the surface. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh yeah, this is coming up because I do feel so relaxed and so safe right now to be able to feel this yeah. subconsciously. Yeah. Dang. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about this and try uh, let me get my little book out here. So I want to, yeah, I'll let you talk about this. This is just interesting. Intuition versus triggered suspicion. Mm-hmm. When people talk about tapping into their intuition, mm-hmm. I am like, okay, that's great, but let's be a little cautious here mm-hmm. because there's a lot more going on yeah. than we realize. A lot of times we will label things as our intuition, or our gut feelings. But what's actually going on is something deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I call in the book, triggered suspicions. Mm-hmm. And those are thoughts or feelings that arise from basically the predictions that your brain is making. Because yep. we're really good pattern recognizers. We're really mm-hmm. good predictors. Like this is how we've evolved as humans. A lot of, and we, for good reason, so that we wouldn't get like, eaten by a saber-toothed tiger in the jungle, or we wouldn't forage for the wrong berries that would be poisonous and kill us. We've learned to identify, in many cases, danger Mm -hmm. really quickly and act on that, or identify what's safe really quickly. And a lot of that is based on what is familiar to us Mm -hmm. already. So, when we have these feelings, this the story that I tell in the book mm-hmm. is that I had, I'm not even going to call it a torrid love affair. <laughs> I dated for for a couple months. Yeah. Um, this wonderful, wonderful man who I met on the internet, but mm-hmm. he was connected with me through a very, very close mutual connection of mine in person. So yeah. I, I trust, I trusted it. And we just had this like instant both just fell in such deep lust, which we thought was love, but lust with each other right Mm -hmm. away. For me, on my end, he checked all of the boxes that I wasn't getting in. I hadn't gotten in other relationships before. And I had been single for a while up till then. Mm -hmm. So he came along and I was like, oh my God, this is it. I found my person. Mm -hmm. And I booked a flight from LA to Austin to... Not just meet him in person, but stay with him in his house. And I think there were people who were cheering me on. And there were people who was like, this is out of character. My sister-in-law read this book and she it said to my brother, she's like, Katie did that? Because that's so not, <laughs> yeah. not something that I would do. But I was so like, no, this feels right. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is it. I'm going. And he was wonderful. But so I got into the airport. 
I was so excited. And I had this magical plane ride where I met people who like their daughter, like went to the same school. Like we had these mutual connections and I go down the elevator and I see him and I thought, it's not my person. And it wasn't like a catfishing situation. Right. This was the person. It's just like what the energy. Of it all was of a just sudden. the energy. It yeah. was like mm, that's that's not him. And like very good looking person, so mm-hmm. kind, so wonderful. But I just had this feeling like mm, it's not the person. But I was so convinced that my intuition was like, no, this is it. Mm-hmm. So I stayed here. I had an amazing time in Austin, by the way. That's why I was so happy to come back mm-hmm. this time. I was yeah. like. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, I did all the Austin-y things. Yeah. But I stayed in that relationship for like close to two months because I yeah. was so convinced that those feelings that I had, they must be right. And that there's something going on that's that's talking me out of it right now, mm-hmm. but just stick with it, stick with mm-hmm. it. And we we ended up breaking up mutually and he ended up like, meeting who's now his wife um, on the at the airport. Like they reconnected because yeah. they had known each other. So that worked out. It worked out for him. It worked out for me because I met my husband very shortly after. But what I realized about that was that my triggered suspicions mm-hmm. were what was telling me he's my person. Because I had all of this information of, okay, he checks this box, this box, this box, this box that I have not gotten. Yeah. So it must be be this. And I feel it. I feel excited by that. My intuition was telling me two things. First, that feeling of not my person, not my guy. Mm -hmm. That was spot on. But my intuition also told me not to just go to Austin, but to stay Mm -hmm. and to stay in the relationship. And for me, that's what not only introduced me to Austin, Mm -hmm. but made me realize that I actually... I'm way braver than I give myself credit for Mm -hmm. and that I can do things that are a little scary, but if I feel like this is the right thing to do, I I can do it. And when I found my husband on the internet, Mm -hmm. I actually found him as I was looking for people to block on the app that I was on, it was eHarmony. Oh, because I it was, did eHarmony <gasps> once too. No way. Yeah. So that's well, like... Well, it wasn't an app back then. It was like the interweb. Oh, no. It was... Uh, it had the interweb, but it had just <laughs> created an app. And my friend told me to join with her because it, the app had just come out and it was oh. free that weekend. Oh. She's like, we can go on bad dates and then get, uh, you know, recap after and like get a glass of wine after. But Katie, you are so on your track that like, it would be interesting to just see what happened if you met the universe halfway. Okay, so you met your husband on eHarmony. Yes. Okay, let's just sidetrack here. So e, I was with someone um, for six years mm-hmm. and broke up. And I was like, I was in my 20s. I was like, how do I date again? And so yeah. I had moved in to Manhattan Beach with my friend Kim. And she was single. And she's like, let's do eHarmony. And we were like drinking wine. And that thing takes hours to fill out. Uh, well, as a writer, I was like, <laughs> this is my thing. And when I when I found him, I know it's like all the people on even like the hinges and stuff. It's so quick now. Yeah. But I, I liked that people were able to, to like you couldn't jump through hoops there. Yeah. You really yeah. had to be committed. But I found, I don't know if you remember this or ever played with this because you were on it. I'm so excited that you used it. <laughs> there was a button that said, what if? 
Oh, and it was in the corner. So you had to look for it. So long ago. And yeah. it was basically a button that you clicked it and it was, okay, well, these per- these people aren't your exact matches, but what if they were? Is that so it, was your husband a what yes, if? Yes. And I was looking for Dang. people to, because you could, it was Tinder style where you, you swiped. Okay. So I was like, if I block all of the people here, because they're in just yeah. in the percentile underneath the people I'm being matched with. Yeah then eHarmony is going to have no people to match me with. And I don't have to go on these dates and I don't have to play this game with my friend. And I swiped and I saw him and I had that feeling of, That's I know person. him. Yes. <laughs> and and it was like, and I'd never met him before. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him, I was like, well, I'm going to be me because you're getting me wherever you go. Like, I'm not going to play games here. So we wrote, when we did all of like the questions, the bajillion questions that yeah. you do, and we got into like the messaging part. Yeah. I wrote this big, long thing. And I was like, he's either going to love it or he's not going to. He responded with something twice as long. And we've been together for, (laughs) it'll be 11 years. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think I've been with Bobby 11 years too, I think. Yeah. They asked when we, um, when we quit the app, Mm -hmm. they were like, would you be interested in being a part of one of the commercials? Like a (gasps) success story. And Jeremy is a super introvert. He's like, uh, he's an, INTP, if you know like Enneagram stuff, he's like the most introvert of introvert. He was like, absolutely not. But now I've told the story so many times, I feel like eHarmony is getting a lot of free commercials from (laughs) me. Exactly. That's so funny. Yeah, I went on like, I dated in person three guys. Mm -hmm. Not to go into dating apps, but I just, my friends, I have a lot of friends on dating apps now. Yeah, same. I'm like, but how do you even know these people? It's just based off of physical looks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, um, it's funny. I just saw something on social media where someone was showing men's profiles mm-hmm. and how they all say that they're looking for someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously. And I'm like, that's, I guess, the line now. Okay. But I think that it's become so a part of our ecosystem mm-hmm. that very similar to writing a book and being like, I, I know this has to get out here and I know it'll find the people that it needs to find. It, it's kind of like, there's so many people on there now where back back in our day, <laughs> it was a, like it was very big hookup culture mm-hmm. or it was people who like they were kind of hiding that they were on the dating apps. Yeah. So just knowing that, okay, there are people out there and setting those parameters with yourself of like, again, what is the game that I'm willing to play and how long am I willing to play that game is so important, especially something like that that can feel so out of your control. Did that answer the intuition question? Yeah. Oh, what, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked about the difference between the two, and then you got my um, my my love life story. I love that. Well, all right, Katie. Uh, we could keep talking. Might have to have you back towards the end of the book here. But there's some good stuff back there. I'm excited. There's yeah. also an appendix of exercises. So if like you're squats. like. <laughs> yes, yes. There's um, there's um, deadlifts on page two fifty two. No, I when I was writing the book, I really wanted people to be able to experience the book at their own pace on their own time. But I wanted people to have these exercises that have been so powerful for me and so many other people. So my publisher was super down, which I'm so happy. There's an appendix of exercises in the book Love that. that um. That are those exercises are interspersed throughout the book, and yeah. um, that's one of the things that I'm the most proud of. 
Well, it's a very, very well thought out, well written, all you 100% in there. So make sure you grab one to yourself. And can we share where people can go ride bikes with you? Yes. Equinox. They can, they can find me at, it's, it's, it's one day a week. Um, they can find me at Equinox in New York City, but they can find me at large at Katie Horwich on social media. It's just my name. They can also find out more about the book at wantyourself.com. They can listen to the Women Against Negative Talk podcast at the Wantcast, which, um, just saying right now, like we'll have to, we'll have to have you on there. Yes. Um, they can go to womenagainstnegativetalk.com and get all of the tips, tools, motivation, inspiration to shift their self-talk. So I'm, I'm very findable. And women against negative talk is so important for everyone. I mean, that's kind of even with tone it up. We're always, you know, no judgment. Be you. Yeah, I wasn't kidding when I said you very much paying attention to that <laughs> early work that you were doing, and yep. it. I think it can be easy to take for granted that type of work now because yeah. you see it a lot. But I mean, you created something that was so revolutionary in its approach and the community and then just the way that your work has expanded into mm-hmm. big silence and all of the mental health work you do now. Like, it's all the natural evolution of yeah. what I at least can see was was there all along. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. See you around. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. The Big Silence The Big Silence The big silence. The big silence. The big silence.